Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is Dr. Karen Messina. I'm a psychologist and psychoanalyst. Thank you for listening to the New Books Network and to my podcast channel, which is New Books and Psychology. Today, I'd like to welcome Tracy Cipriano. She is a psychologist and lawyer. She previously practiced law and has been utilizing her education, training, research, and experience to address and promote well-being and cultural change within the legal community since 2005. In recognition of her contributions to lawyer well-being, she was named a 2022 Connecticut Legal Awards Game Changer honoree. Dr. Ciprio is a speaker, coach, and consultant, and is also an assistant clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry, Law and Psychiatry Division, and a former consulting clinical supervisor in the Yale Psychology Department. She has also held leadership and governance positions in the American Psychological Association, the Connecticut Psychological Association, and the Connecticut Bar Association. She was the recipient of the 2015 Distinguished Contribution to the Practice of Psychology Award from the Connecticut Psychological Association. Dr. Ciprio also was elected to fellow status uh, at, at APA in August. She has written articles addressing lawyer well-being for legal publications, including Law 360, Writers Legal, the Connecticut Law Tribune, the Los Angeles Daily Journal, and Connecticut Lawyer Magazine. In addition, she is the opening plenary speaker for the upcoming Women, Influence, and Power Law Conference in New Orleans this coming October. Her wonderful book is The Thriving Lawyer, a multi-dimensional model of well-being for the sustainable legal profession. So welcome, Tracy. It's so nice to have you. Great to be here, Karen. Uh, it seems like 
the well-being of lawyers is an important topic these days. Can you tell our listeners why this issue has particular significance at this time? Sure. You know, I think it's been an issue for quite some time, but there's just more awareness of it um, more recently within the legal community. Many surveys have shown in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, Singapore, that lawyers are in distress. Many of them are experiencing burnout, anxiety, depression, all at levels that are much higher than population norms. Um, And then with the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the pressures that brought with it, it just compounded and exacerbated um, the existing stress within the profession and uh, the profession had to take notice. So I guess maybe you've already answered my second question, but I assume that's why you wrote the book. Are, are there other reasons you wrote it? Why did I write the book? Yeah, I've been wanting to write a book for quite some time. Uh, I, this is something I've been doing for many years, since the early 2000s. And I think that it's something that uh, that would be helpful for the legal profession to hear and think about. Yes. And so I, I guess the timing was right. Um, in addition to me feeling like I had the hook that I wanted when I wrote the book and thinking about writing a book, you, you know, as an author yourself, you need to have a, a hook that what makes it different. And I had to figure that out for a while. And it, it came to me actually when I was preparing for a presentation and thinking through a conceptual model that I was using to present to my audience. Um, and that and in that moment, it's I realized this was going to be my book. So I, I came together in the timing in terms of my thinking of uh, a hook for the book and the timing in terms of where the legal community was in terms of their receptivity to something of this nature. That, make, that makes sense. Uh, well, to follow that up a little bit, well, I'll follow up write a little bit about your background as a lawyer and psychologist and how those two things fit together because it's not every day that you talk to somebody who has a background in both professions. Sure. Um, so in terms of my background, I am longstanding interest in law, psychology, policy, and health. And as an undergrad, I majored in all of these. I, I majored in psychology, but I took courses in all these areas and I ultimately decided to apply to law school uh, there were many things I liked about the law. I'm a very analytical person. I like the research writing, problem-solving pieces and crafting a good argument. But there were pieces of the day-to-day practice that I didn't enjoy as much. And I, over time, was thinking about my skills, interests, needs. I'm a more of a relational person and um, what, how my interests would be best suited in terms of my long-term career goals and what would give my life meaning. And I um, ultimately decided to make the leap and return to graduate school for clinical psychology after giving it some a lot of thought. Um, it was a difficult decision to make, but then I, I didn't look back after I, after I did it. Uh, and then when I was there, I mean, I was pursuing my interests in uh, health psychology and the whole mind-body connection. And when I began thinking about my research, I was curious about the workplace and how workplace stress influenced these things after observing what goes on in the legal profession. And so that was the beginning of my research. I looked at um, work and family stress in a corporate population as part of a health promotion study. And then I developed my own research for my dissertation and began presenting to lawyers uh, so that I could gather data on work-family conflict in lawyers and how I was looking at how measures of work-family conflict and work-family interference influenced physical and psychological health and how traits such as perfectionism and optimism might influence those relationships. And it just 
built from there. I, I was each time I presented, it was uh, say early on, it wasn't a message that was easily heard talking about stress and why it's important to manage it. But there were always a few people, usually early career, who were very receptive and uh, very interested in that. Kind of spurred me on to keep doing what I was doing and helping to create change in the profession. And it just built from there. I think it's a very logical, uh, interesting combination. I also think that it is a lot of work, so you must be a professional student. And I, I can identify with that, but um, it's a lot of, a lot of work. Um, I believe people, many people, when they think of lawyers, they think of a problem they're having or they think of trouble they're trying to stave off. I don't think uh, the average person is tuned into the mental health of their attorney. I think they think, I've got a problem. Yeah, let me call my attorney. Uh, so you've introduced an interesting concept with a multi-dimensional model, model of lawyer well-being. Can you tell us why you think it's important? Why the model's important. Okay, first, your, your first observation, you're, you're right. I think most of us, when we go to any professional or service provider, we're not thinking about what is going on with that person, at least if you're not a psychologist. <laughs> thinking about what's going on. You're there, you have a need, you need to be met, and you, that's all you're thinking about. And it reminds me of an article I read this summer about um, associates in some of the larger firms and talking about their stress experience and how some of that comes from representing corporate clients that don't take into account their their needs and their time management needs. So if you're a corporate client and you, you're working, like, okay, Friday at five, I'm going to send them off the information they need for this thing that they need to get back to me on Monday at nine, are you giving any thought to when that work is going to get done? Um, but in, in terms of the multidimensional model, I I see it as uh, a model of well-being for all of us, not just for lawyers. But it's important because it takes into account a lot of different factors. Usually when people think about well-being, the first thing that comes to mind is self-care. And self-care is essential, but that's really only a very small piece of it. And then there's the 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 day-to-day things, sleep, exercise, and things of that nature. And then there's your mindset and more meditative type activities that you might engage in, mindfulness activities. But there also, you need to start by even recognizing what's going on within yourself, psychologically, emotionally, physically, cognitively. How how are you functioning? Because um, as you know, you can't address a problem unless you even recognize that it, there is a problem to be addressed. Um, as a psychoanalyst, you, you appreciate insight, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> um, and then there are many other factors that come into play, such as relationships and how are you prioritizing relationships and what are you doing to build and maintain healthy relationships and things like meaning and purpose in your life. What are the sources of those things? Are you making time to engage in activities that give you a sense of meaning or finding meaning in whatever you are engaging in? Um, what is your workplace like? Is What are your work demands and pressures? What is the work environment you're in? How do people treat each other? Um, and then there are financial considerations as well. Financial stress is just like any other stress. So that can compound things. Or um, how are you tying finances into your happiness? Are you thinking that they're one and the same? And is that influencing how you go about your work? So there are a lot of different things to think about. And uh, right. yeah. But to switch gears slightly, I'd like to highlight the format of your book and how useful I've found it to be uh, 
with regard to telling people up front that each chapter is a discrete, you have discrete information in each chapter, that you don't have to read the whole book. And like many books, it builds up chapters build on each other. But in your book, you don't have to do that. You can read one chapter and put the book down and, you know, read chapter one and then later on read chapter six if that's of interest to you. So I found this to be very unique uh, and uh, an interesting way to write a book. I, I wonder about that idea and, and how you came to that. Sure. Um, I think the, all of the, each of the chapters reflects one element of the model. So they are um, separate and distinct, but they are interconnected. And my thinking was lawyers are a very busy group. And I don't know if they're going to have time to sit and read a book cover to cover to get all this information. They can if they have time. But the idea was you could read the book, get some information. And then if there's something else of interest, you can jump around and read a different chapter that might give you um, other information. So you might look at the self-care chapter when, what, what can I do to address certain things and look at how to engage in self-care and what kinds of things you can do. And maybe you think, you know, she said something about paying attention to how I'm feeling, but I'm not sure how I should go about doing that. And so maybe you look at the chapter that talks about paying attention to your overall health and physical and psychological health or, um, there was something about, you know, my relationships, I'm not sure they're as satisfying as I want. What, what should I be thinking about here? And so you might jump to that chapter. So it really depends upon what your needs are, what your, and what your time allows for. There's something in chapter one uh, that I'd like to read a short paragraph because I don't think that people really realize. I if they sat down and thought about it, they might be able to write categories down. But just at first blush, I don't think they realize how multifaceted the. Um, role of an attorney is in general um, in our society, how many things they actually do. People think, oh, yeah, I had an accident. I need to call a lawyer or, yeah, such and such happened. I want somebody to read over my lease. I, I better call my lawyer or find one. But you've laid it out here in a way that describes the many things they do, not just a few. So... Uh, this is maybe dedicated to my two daughters who are lawyers. Uh, maybe they'll realize I appreciate everything lawyers do. So lawyers ensure all aspects of society, business, government, nonprofit, personal, are functioning in accordance with a set of predetermined values related to fairness and efficiency. Lawyers protect us from injustice and preserve our rights and freedoms. At the same time, the profession is struggling with never-before issues. Uh, research surveys related to lawyer stress, depression, substance use, healthcare utilization, and suicide all suggest that law is a particularly stressful profession. And lawyer stress often arises as a result of the nature of the work, especially in combination with common lawyer traits. Uh, I, I'm really glad that you wrote that, and I don't know if there's anything you want to add to it, if you could comment on it, because they do a lot. I think, um, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't think about the experience of their lawyer and what they're um, going through and all the work that they do and the amount of, you know, the, it's just the pressures of the profession and trying to uphold the uh, laws. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, what does uh, thriving mean? Uh, not the word, but in in the context of the thriving lawyer. Sure. Um, and I just want to like respond. I don't think I responded well to your last question. There are so many different areas of law. I mean, depending upon if you're um, working in a more commercial sense or social justice sense, there are a lot of different pressures, and it's hard to really get into how to answer it all. Absolutely. Uh, like that, but. Um, What's does thriving mean to me? I, I think of thriving, I define it broadly. I look to the World Health Organization and the CDC for their definitions of mental health. And those definitions are very broad in thinking about um, how, we're, how we're functioning in society. Are we realizing our potential? Are, how are we doing to manage stress and adversity? Are we productive members of society? And that, may, that includes your work, but it includes other things. Are you making a contribution to your community? Are you um, maintaining healthy relationships? So there are a lot of things. Are you? How are you? How are you functioning overall in the world? Uh, do you have a sense of how your book has been received by the legal community? I would imagine that psychologists might eat this up, but I, I just I don't have a sense. So curious. You know, it's been very well received both by uh, law firms and uh, in law schools. And I've received feedback from lawyers at small firms to people at global firms that they feel that the content really resonates with them. I've had some law schools have bought many copies for their students. And I was uh, at some law school orientations in the beginning of the semester talking with them about the elements of the model and why it's important and a little more than that, doing some workshops. But yes, it's been received very well um, by lawyers and law schools. I think that's good to know because uh, people have the impression, at least I talk to a lot of patients, they have the impression that uh, law firms are not necessarily places where employment engagement is really focused on at a regular basis. So I'm glad to hear that law firms are uh, taking this seriously and really uh, grappling with these issues. That's good to know. Many are. I think it's a matter of figuring out how how to best address it. It's hard to, even once you recognize there are issues that need to be addressed, it can be hard to develop a plan. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you do some consulting with groups if they if they need help. They say they bought your book and they think, yeah, this is, this is great, but now what do I do? Exactly. I can help you think through what are the issues that are most pertinent in your firm that you're struggling with, and here are some strategies to try to address those things. That's, that's good to know. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic increased mental health awareness. It also increased mental health issues. Um, what impact did the pandemic have on awareness related to lawyer well-being? Um, it, it increased it greatly. Uh, many lawyers were struggling 
And the pressures on lawyers vary depending upon their work setting. So many uh, lawyers that were in smaller solo practices were struggling financially because courts were closed and they didn't have the work that they needed to maintain their practice. There were other lawyers at larger firms that involved like mergers and acquisition work and they were terribly busy. And so for them, it was a matter of getting, getting some downtime and time to take care of themselves. People were adjusting to Zoom technology and how how does this work? And this is that was a very big adjustment for everyone. And then getting your work done over Zoom, um, and then the issues of just being home and not having childcare, especially people who live in cities and you're in a small apartment and you've got toddlers running around and you're trying to be in present in an important meeting. So there were a lot of pressures on lawyers that in an already stressful profession. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's good to know. Uh, I also uh, believe that, I don't think this is any news, we all know st the stereotype uh, that excessive lawyers at billable hours, mm. stress and fast-paced, et cetera, et cetera. What is needed to help lawyers deal with this stress and promote well-being in the profession? Reading your book would be one thing. Look what else? I think to, we need to increase awareness. Awareness um, that you know stress is actually not a good thing. Well, how does it influence? It influences um, your your cognitive performance. Many people don't think about it. Many people aren't even aware that it's influencing their cognitive performance until they begin to step back a bit. It influences your mental health. over long term. We're talking about chronic stress. So stress is adaptive in the short term, but appreciating that chronic stress can in impact your performance, your mental health, your physical health, really understand why, why do we care? Why do we want to address this? There are financial factors when you think about if you're, you know, running a firm and healthcare costs, there's a financial piece and professional liability pieces. So there are a lot of reasons why but we need to understand why we want to um, promote well-being. And then we need to be able to think about where, where do we need to target? And again, it depends upon the person and their individual needs and then your your work setting and pressures that varies. Yeah. What role does uh, law firm leadership have in addressing law firm culture as it relates to lawyer mental health and well-being? Law firm leadership has a big role. And you know, when I started out, I would talk to lawyers about stress management and self-care and setting boundaries and all kinds of things that they can do to promote their well-being and to manage their workload. And people would say to me, you know, Tracy, this is great, but, you know, all the partners think differently. And, you know, the one line people would say is, you know, we just need to wait for all the partners to die off and then we can actually focus on well-being. <laughs> so not yeah. thinking that, okay, something else needs to happen here. And I started thinking bigger about the work environment and the culture and are you are you allowing lawyers to have flexibility in terms of when and where they work? I mean, lawyers are a very diligent group of people. And you know, when when I was practicing, there was the FaceTime that you were sitting at your desk and people could actually see you. And that meant you were a serious lawyer. But um, do we really need to do that? Can people get their work done um, in a different way? And what are your expectations or unwritten expectations so maybe you offer a vacation but can people really take it uh, <laughs> no <laughs> right? and if they do dare to take it do they have to be tethered to their phone the whole time so 
what are those things and how, how, what kind of culture are you building in your, in your workplace? Very leadership dependent. I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'll ask it anyway for other people. Are law firms doing enough on this issue? A uh, bit of a loaded question. I, <laughs> I would say that, um, a lot of law firms recognize the importance and they are making changes at different levels and different rates. So some are doing better than others at this point. And I think it's just a matter of time. Um, probably with any employer, people will move toward the employers that seem to be healthier. Um, and that may motivate some change on the part of other employers, but there are there are a lot of factors that play, and certainly one book isn't going to address all of them, but uh, a lot of lawyers, I, I'd say um, there's always more that can be done, but I think we also need to recognize um, that firms are trying to make make a change, and that change is slow, and it's a process. Uh, in terms of this particular topic, the well-being of lawyers and the issues, the problems with well-being, in the legal profession. Is this mostly a U.S. issue or is this issue, does it exist in other countries? If you know that. Um, there's been research in, um, globally about lawyer, related to lawyer stress. So I've seen studies in Canada and the U.K., uh, Singapore, Australia, and they, they all find the same thing that lawyers have, you know, depression, anxiety, substance use problems, burnout, there's the, the legal profession is very perfectionistic and that can create a lot of stress. Um, and so that's where the trade piece starts to come in. So it's not just a U.S. issue. It's it's a, it's a global issue. Uh, just looking over your book, I, I really like the book a lot. Um, Thank you. You have a, I like the introduction. So you tell people what to expect and you give them a guide to reading it. You also have information, interesting information in boxes. Did you talk about that? The first one is box one, fun fact, fact. But I mean, they have different kinds of information. They're not always just fun facts. So, um, the the boxes. Uh, I wanted it to be interesting to read. I didn't want to just write a treatise. And you can see there are a lot of references in each chapter, but I don't have a footnote after every sentence. I wanted this to be something that was easy to read and um, enjoyable and something that wouldn't be painful or homework for you to pick up at the end of the day. Yeah. So maybe it's something that's important that can kind of stay with people because it pops out at them, I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what special insights do you think that you have on the well-being of lawyers? because you've been immersed in both professions. I think I appreciate how lawyers think. I appreciate the efficiency focus and the need to be concise and on point and to um, get your message ac across quickly and efficiently and the, the, you know, in a way that can be easily digested. I think lawyers don't have the time or the sometimes even the patience to weed through a lot of information. So um, my, my goal in writing the book was to address concepts in the most concise way possible so that they could maximize um, the information without having to read through a lot of extraneous extraneous information. That is, uh, 
Is there anything else that's crucially important that you would like people to know? I think for all of us, whether you're a lawyer or not, it's important to pay attention to your 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 well-being and all these factors in your life and to engage in self-care. Um, for the for the legal community, I hope that anyone who's interested in promoting well-being will take a look at my book. I, I do think it has a lot of um, things to think about and strategies to address well-being. Um, crucially important. Yeah, uh, I think I I want to say that we've only touched the very tip of the iceberg today. So perhaps you can come back some other time and we can talk more about the book because there is so much information in this book. Uh, and it's it's interesting. I don't think you have to be a lawyer to be, I know you don't have to be a lawyer to be interested in it. So uh, I think it might be good to cover some of the other, the other topics. Um, how can people reach you? Can reach me through my my website. Uh, probably the easiest thing is the thrivinglawyerbook.com, which will connect you to my personal website, which is my name, Tracy, T R A C I, Cipriano, C I P R I A N O, J D P H D.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn if that's easier. Okay. Uh, well, I think that that will probably do it for today, even though we can spend uh, several hours and that, again, wouldn't touch the depth of this book. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say is that you have a lot of excellent recommendations. So if people are interested, I I, I, don't, I assume they can see these on, on Amazon, but there are a lot of great recommendations. So thank you. Sure. Well, it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure having you and I uh, hope to see you again. Thank you, Karen. It'll be great.